0: Welcome to Joker Men Podcast. I'm Evan. I'm Ian. At long last, at long, long last, we find ourselves at a something I've been excited for for a long time.
1: Yes, yeah. In many ways, we find ourselves at the record or the first of a, a few records that this podcast was born to discuss here low these many months on
0: a record
1: <laughs> which
0: <laughs> some you know this whole thing it makes me want to pontificate uh and and well, I think I, there's going to be a lot you know, of pontificating on this one I'm sitting in a you know a leather a leather armchair mm. uh I've got a a, c- a cigar
1: for me the mic is very close to my face and all the other microphones in the room are hidden away out of sight I can't see them they've all been very expertly tucked away by some of the greatest recording engineers on the planet but I can't see them I don't know where they are there's just one mic six inches away from my face so you can hear me every time I do one of those are like a one of those you know which you can hear from the singer of this record on several songs, in fact. Straight from Capitol Records Studio B in Holland. A
0: record (laughs) Which A a record of distinction.
1: A record which Uh, you ranked, I think, what, number six on um on that little list thing that we made, however many months ago?
0: Oh of what was our favorites at that time, but at were supposed that moment to be like time? our favorites like of all time? Yeah.
1: The canonical no, we the, that was it. There was no <laughs> there's no changes allowed. We've never been known to come up with some bullshit initially and then and immediately then for, change our minds like three months later. <laughs> uh
0: we're talking about a record. A record which <laughs> uh, I, I actually was thinking about where I placed it on that list today, mm-hmm. and I was thinking like, you know, where did I put it? Where? How far up did I put it?
1: It was in my top 10, Yeah, right? I'm pro- I think it was six, yeah. Someone can fact check us on that.
0: Yeah. This is a record called Shadows in the Night. Shadows you know, in the I'm Night, in a, 2015.
1: I'm, Bob Dylan on Columbia Records.
0: Cats Out of the Bag. Um, what more can, I, what what can I say, you know? <laughs>
1: well, we've got two hours to fill, so I hope you've got something.
0: Well, I mean, I, I'm just trying to think of what more can I say as like a sort of long-winded introduction to the... To the introduction, so I like the will pre-introduction. Where I, I want to say that you know we're we're doing the sort of pre-introduction part. Mm-hmm. So this is like the antechamber where right. we we we've come in on a rainy uh, day, you know, rainy uh, dark and stormy night rather, mm. and the
1: the autumn leaves are falling.
0: Our motor broke down. Um, our auto broke down. I mean. And uh, yeah, the autumn leaves are falling, and there's a thunderstorm uh, in the sky, and we see a beautiful man manor house on the hill, and we are walking up, and the door slowly creaks open, and uh, we're led into a, a beautiful antique antechamber. Are
1: we going to like a, like a mansion in a Scooby Doo episode? It sounds. No, like? No, no, <laughs> this
0: isn't the bad ver- this isn't the haunted version of that. It's this is the home of a, a reclusive scholar who I see. is who welcomes us in, gives us a pair of uh uh house slippers mm-hmm. and uh there's like a, you know Siamese cat wandering around. Um
1: we're at the we're at the Dark Prince's castle. This is this is Count this is Clinton Halen's. Halen <laughs> yeah. Clinton Halen's uh
0: country manor. Yeah. Um and we were invited into the parlor uh as we uh as we hear the the dulcet tones of, of the of the of the horn, well, mm-hmm. do not we honk on it?
1: Well, are we going to honk on it already? Are we going to start talking about the first song already?
0: I don't know. I guess we should. T- Never mind. We don't. He doesn't. Not honking yet. But you see the gleaming harmonica on its yes.
1: stand on a on a on a pedestal, just waiting to be waiting to be poorly blown on.
0: And uh, Clinton Halen, uh pours you a, uh, a a glass of scotch and mm-hmm. um, or or brandy actually brandy sure and uh, he he t- he takes out one of his cherished discs and it's uh, Shadows in the Night yes. and he says my dear friend <laughs> and then he says uh, do you want to hear this record yeah it's really good it's really it's true it's really good. I don't know what... Uh, that's not... That was more Irish. Does he like this album, Clinton?
1: I don't know. I would assume so. Um, I think I think that he probably likes it in the sense that, like, it's interesting to him. I don't know that it's music that he, like, loves necessarily. He probably has some bitchy thing to say about it somehow. But I do think that this was mostly... This is one thing that we were already talking about before the show, or yet, I think yesterday we were texting about it, like, the, the critical reception to this album. Which you seem to believe is more negative than it might have seemed according to the reviews at the time. I want to cut to the chase.
0: This is Shadows in the Night. This is the first of the series of three releases by, by Dylan that are the sort of um unofficially called the you know the American standard, the standards or right or the the Crooner albums or the Sinatra records, some of the people. uncovered so collo- records. colloquially. Call them, uh, uncovered.
1: Yeah, that's what Bob said he was doing with these songs. Someone said, oh. I think in, in one of the interviews, <laughs> they said, uh, you, you know, you're putting out a, a uh, an album of covers, and Bob was like, "What is what is covers? I mean, that's not a word that that we used to know. If anything, I'm uncovering these songs. Have been hidden. <laughs> They've been buried away. I'm uncovering these songs.
0: That I mean, that's something that uh, that's a beautiful thought. It's a great way it's to look at it. A great way to look at it. Thank you, Bob. Uh, Smart guy. So. Uh, what I'm, what we were talking about before, as you alluded to, is, uh, yeah, I don't believe that the, well, while well, like the people who bothered to review this or were, you know, tasked with reviewing it by and large in the mainstream sort of NPR type of crowd, the P- PBS listenership type crowd that, mm-hmm. you know, the BBC, these, these sort of institutional, uh, you know what i'm saying these the, that sort of staid uh, regular type critic i think they had a you know a, a good response to this but i, I don't see as a strong a, a feeling or even any any feeling really that uh, that seems to be like it feels like the rock and alternative music press really doesn't know what to make of this stuff by and large mm-hmm. from what i've seen and um i hope that we can sort of sway that uh sway some people maybe to rethink their initially maybe dismissive or just lukewarm or just disinterested feelings about this material
1: sure yeah, I will. I will. Say, I will. I will say. I will lay out the facts here at the beginning. Uh, to just to, to reference uh, Pitchfork.com. M- well, yeah, that's one of them. Um, Metacritic, uh, which you know, there's a whole problem with that concept in the first place. But just to use it as a as a uh, you know a, a, a finger in the wind uh, in terms of the critical consensus does have it at eighty two. Uh, universal acclaim it's uh, it's rated so it does seem to have received quite high reviews from the critics at the time including mojo uh, the guardian paste magazine uncut something called blurt magazine um, a line of best fit rich thank you if you're out there Um, you know quite a few uh, 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 you know like rock ish critic uh, press outlets uh, in addition to places like the new york times uh, the Guardian, The Telegraph, you know, all of your uh, your snoozers. The people who didn't like it, pitchwork.com and our old friend Bob Criscow, Who Are you
0: fucking kidding me?
1: No, I'm not. Criscow. Uh, uh, old Criscow, uh, who had this to say about it. Um, well,
0: he's the self-styled, like, uh, king of rock criticism, you know. Uh, he would like to think, he fancies himself that, I think.
1: That is how he likes to think of himself um, whether or not seems that way. whether or not that is correct in
0: in his dark prince private uh, uh hilltop manor where he <laughs> he broods uh, upon the uh, yeah. rolling thunder clouds <laughs> he 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 likes to think of himself as the king of uh of the of the uh, the western uh <laughs> the the uh, North American rock,
1: critics. right? Yeah, he's he's the uh, the American counterpart to, to Halen's you know British uh, British Lord. Uh, they stare actually... at each
0: other across the pond. Across you know? the pond, yeah.
1: Um, they're like Batman and the Joker um I can't actually find their view right now but um, yeah they're like Batman and the
0: Joker who live famously in in London and New York
1: well they you wherever. know they they need they need each other uh, yeah you know, they're they they're, do. Uh, they're inverses of one another
0: Anyway, what did Chris Gow say uh, it he sounds called it,
1: bad he called it painful um, oh uh, and said he only listened to it a couple times. Uh, I don't have the, the actual review in front of me because it seems to have been wiped no, from his it, he website. He called
0: it painful. It was wi- interesting, wiped from his website.
1: It's not It's not there right now. Um, what is he? I, I've got a couple other quotes. Uh, he later complained that the singer's voice sounds, quote, permanently shot, wow. and that, quote, the Sinatra-style pop canon Dylan has devoted himself to lately does generally require some show of mellifluousness and pitch control.
0: What in the world? Mellifluousness? Mellifluousness.
1: Oh yeah, that—that's an even fancier sorry, word than I would have. Sorry, drop it sounded,
0: on. it's sounding—it's uh, a—it's—it's a little pitchy, dog. It's a little—it's a little lacking in mellifluousness. Got to—got to cr- a, gotta crank that sorry, mellifluousness man. dial. There's a
1: dearth of mellifluousness in your uh, <laughs> in your sound. Do you know? Do you, can you define mellifluous? Um, if
0: you give me five dollars because <laughs> it's a five dollar word, <laughs> I'll look it up. No, uh, no. I, uh,
1: no having a smooth rich flow or filled with something that sweetens mellifluous confections in other words it sounds good it's good music mellifluousness is the means it means good music It means good music exactly
0: okay. all right i i understand the concept i can uh, hey wait a minute i don't think that that's uh, i don't think i agree with that yeah anyway so the word.
1: just to get back to the critic thing and and square the circle here it did get good reviews at the time, uh, but I do agree that I I think that it was just it was reviewed. People gave it you know thumbs you know who up. who
0: else didn't like it or doesn't care for it? Who? Friend of the show Stephen Hyden. Well, Famously he doesn't. Luke, ca- he, he doesn't not. He's care lukewarm. For it. And he's lukewarm lukewarm I'm talking. I'm saying to you. Well, but that's Stephen, what I was gonna. That's I want, what I was going Yeah, I don't that think That's what that I, I was gonna say. I was going okay, to agree sorry. with
1: you and say. I don't think that it was like lambasted necessarily yeah. by the critics but yeah. I do think that it was sort of it, it has since been kind of overlooked and just kind of tucked away in a in a corner of the the world of Bob as this like oddity curiosity curio that you know this old man is just kind of weirdly getting into here in his twilight years and I do think that if there's one thing that I think and that you think and that we can hopefully make other people think as well that this is much more than just a one off um or just kind of like odd detour in Bob's career and actually well, represents yeah, something much larger, much deeper, much more important um here, you know, kind of uh as it's as it's getting dark out there. So it, to speak.
0: it's it's seven years of his career basically were devoted to this. And when you think about when it started and when the last when you know when it ended, right?
1: Sort, I mean, the records came out 15, 16, 17, so it did only happen, these records were only cut over the course of two years, Um, but uh, I, I think if we take a grander look at things, it actually represents a much larger period of his career, even more so than just seven years, because this is music that Bob... Grew up on right, as seven, a child, where and did I even worked. Get that number from? Well, I I think you're thinking the the time frame between Tempest and Rough and Rowdy, which was right. Yeah, yeah. between
0: releases of original was, music. Yeah, this
1: was the only music that came out in between Tempest and Rough and Rowdy. Yeah, yeah. Um, But to take a you know kind of bigger, broader, uh, more more bird's eye view here, this is music that, like I was saying, Bob grew up on. Uh, kind of was just like ambiently in the water, in the air. You know, there's this AARP interview that he did at the time that I'm sure we'll reference a couple other times. But he talks about in that interview like Sinatra music was just stuff you heard, like without even meaning to. It was just on the radio. It was on the jukebox in the in the fucking soda counter shop. Um, you know, it was just like kind of part of part of the world, the way that you breathe air and drink water um and and so you know it's this music that's very like deeply kind of ingrained and imprinted upon him and it's also music that he worked through and with on um with the band uh uh, over a long long period of time He, he also spoke about how a lot of these songs uh they kind of started to master when they were just sound checking at venues uh you know before never ending tour shows over the course of many many years and so like it was just, it, it like, when they went in to cut this record, it wasn't even like it it, it, it seemed like it was a very chill, very, like, normal, very smooth kind of process because they just, they knew this music, they knew each other, and it just kind of flowed out of them, you know, kind of seamlessly. Um, and that's, I think that, in large part, is, is part of the magic that we that we hear in the grooves, um, you know, coming through, coming through our towers. The grooves speakers,
0: of the LP. Of the LP, not or the, in the, not uh, the grooves of this music, which yeah, grooves I would not of the LP? Yes, describe as groovy.
1: Or on the uh, reflective surface uh, being read by that cool red laser beam for all you compact disc heads out there. Anyways, um, I will. I will. Yeah,
0: I mean, it's a, It's not a fluke. It's not a one-off thing. And if you're a fan of Bob Dylan, you don't get to just ignore this and uh, decide that it's like not important it's arguably right. one of the most important parts of his entire career and something that he spent more time on that he released more material um related to than any other era are possibly like mm-hmm. what other there is no other like discrete era that he has spent more time putting out stuff that's like all from that uh
1: approach yeah, I mean, you think of his career in terms of, like, uh, trilogies, you know, like we've talked about before, like, friend of the show, Matt, Matt Farley, has talked about as well, and, like, you know, you've got the early 60s trilogy, you got the late 60s trilogy, you've got the mid-70s trilogy, you got the Christian trilogy, you've got the, like, quote-unquote um, uh, quote, quote, comeback trilogy, 90s. yeah, yeah. Um, but none of that, you know, uh, really kind of goes together in such a neat, tidy package and is so literally, comp- like, so voluminous, so many songs, you know, coming out uh, as, the, as these three records had in the span of just two short years, 50-something songs, I think, right? Yeah. I mean, 52. well, there's,
0: there's uh, as we've said a million times now, I'm kind of tired of hearing myself say it, but worth it, in, noting, again, that... The, uh, the period where he was doing those folk covers in the uh, early 90s is the only other period that I think really is directly applicable to this one or compar- comparable, I should say.
1: Yeah, except the template it, for and what it, he it's,
0: do. It's one of those times where he is kind of rediscovering something and honing and re-reinterpreting, and as Dylan would put it himself, apparently uncovering, uncovering music, which is, I think, probably the best way to put it. Yeah. Well, I will and,
1: wrap up this very long and yeah, uh, protracted intro. intro at this point uh, by by just uh, making clear, stating uh, plainly, this is the first. I, I think I remember we talking about, or we talked about this you know, on the Tempest episode. Um, or certainly in other episodes about Tempest, like that was the first like Bob Dylan record that you fell in love with, you know, like contemporary, uh, contemporaneously to use ding, ding, uh, ding. what is apparently my favorite word. It's your um, favorite word. <laughs> this this is the one for me. Um, I, te- I I you know uh, I I completely overlooked Tempest at the time. Maya culpa on that. Uh, But this was the first one that came out that I was like really dialed in and locked into and, you know, considered myself a deep Bob fan. And I don't know, there's something kind of just magical about this record to me. Uh, And it it takes me back to a very specific place, very specific time in my life when it came out. Uh, This is probably the record, like literal vinyl record, like the, the, the record that I've listened to the most out of anything in my collection. Um, just sitting like on shitty couches you know drinking shitty whiskey and letting this play um it's uh it's a very it's a very meaningful loaded kind of album to me uh, yeah so
0: I mean I have a similar experience but uh, I think even more so with the with the follow-up to this because that was when I was like with with uh, fallen angels I just remember specifically like being on the subway listening to that in 2015 and just being like, I love that he's doing this and I love that there's more. I just, I remember like, no, like, when that came out or was announced, I was like, oh boy. And I looked at this record with like such uh, fondness, knowing that it wasn't a one off. I actually thought it made it stronger to me. I was happy that this wasn't a one off, that Shadows in the Night wasn't just a fluke. It was, I think it makes it even better that he spent more time. And then more and more time on this material. Actually, I should have said more, more, and more time (laughs) for triplicate. Uh, And if he were to do it again, I would be that much happier still.
1: Without any further
0: ado. We
1: can only hope. Let's get to it.
0: By blowing on the, uh, uh, on the harmonica, you, you, uh, you've briefly caused the, the Dark Lord, uh, Halen to, uh, evaporate yeah it's and it's sort
1: of it's like a silver cross to dracula yeah. this is my silver bob dylan series harmonica i've blown him he's he's lifted up his he cloak goes, above his goes, eyes no! he's burst he, into no a w- cloud no one, of smoke
0: <laughs> no one should ever touch it it was supposed to be mint <laughs> and then uh we are left alone in his study and we can uh, drop the needle
1: i'm a fool to want you
0: So, an interesting thing that you did was you put together uh, a playlist of Sinatra's versions of all these songs.
1: Yes, which I can't believe that neither one of us had ever... Like, that was the first time that even occurred to me to do, like, five days ago. I can't believe that neither one of us had ever done that before. Um, yeah, me neither. Basically,
0: I... Uh,
1: we'll put a link feel to like the playlist in the uh, episode description.
0: I think... Dylan did this uh, better. This one, I think, is better than Sinatra's version.
1: This what? This what? This one song? This, song. this, this album? Song. This okay?
0: Interesting. This song, and I think the next song. There's some that really just to me like, I'm like, wow, his connection to the words, just the what he does with the melody, I like it so much better. Uh, but also notably. This we should mention there's like no piano on this album
1: yeah it's almost like almost nothing in fact it's a stand-up bass it's bob singing it's a slide uh, or or pedal steel um and there is a little bit of percussion a little bit of guitar here and there but for the most part like it is bob's voice it's tony on the bass and it's uh who is it on the pedal steel is that i think it's donnie donnie heron let me see I've got the LP right here. Um, yeah, Donnie Heron on the pedal Like those are those are the three guys uh, that make this sound. Um, and and Contra, I think the Sinatra versions, which I'll, I'll get back to that in a moment. Like this, the the those are very big, lush, produced, um, you know, kind of heavy sounding songs with his voice. You know, it's great. It's classic. It's frank, we love it. Uh, but the way that this music gets interpreted. Bob is just so like sui generis like just out of the blue like kind of like unexpected because it doesn't even sound anything like never-ending tour music you know it's just like it's got its own unique flavor feel energy vibe whatever word you want to use here and i i, I don't know I, I i can't get enough of it like it's 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 really incredible and and it's, it starts here on the first song and carries through the entire record
0: it's so perfectly balanced and understated it just has um exactly as much as you would need for maximum effect yes it is it's like super economical and it puts the focus squarely on his voice and the song just comes through uncover is really the the best way to put it and it's a really genius way to to put it actually yes.
1: Well, Bob, and this, this song, <laughs> Bob is, knows what he's talking about.
0: Like so many of the songs on here, it's um, a sad, sort of moody, plaintive, yearning song of of unrequited love. I'm a fool to want you. Uh, you can imagine if you haven't heard it what what that song's about. Um, but you haven't really. I mean, this his delivery. It really just. I think in the ARP interview, he says something about you have to believe in these songs and the the words. Otherwise there's really no point in performing them. There's no point in recording them. And he he talks about Rod Stewart having recorded a similar album of uh, covers and, and just not, Yeah, he was disappointed by it. I think he he said in his opinion, Rod seemed not to be totally connected to it. And, Dylan seems to have picked these songs because he has a deep connection with them. He knows he can pull the, them off emotionally and inhabit that very particular space that they need to come across. Right. So the feeling of listening to it is just like the the words and the music are so perfectly linked. It It's like it's it's just like a beautiful marble or or uh or, or wooden uh uh structure or like
1: marble or wooden structure <laughs> i
0: don't know some kind of art artisanally crafted uh thing hewn out of the uh, the uh the stuff of the earth it's just like uh you can't find a, a seam or a crack and it. it's just like perfectly
1: uh, built it's good music uh yeah bob had this to say regarding <laughs> regarding the, the sound um you usually hear these songs with a full-out orchestra but i was playing them with a five-piece band and i didn't miss the orchestra of course a producer would have come in and said let's put strings here and a horn section there but i wasn't going to do that i wasn't even going to use keyboards or grand piano which you mentioned a moment ago the piano covers too much territory and can dominate songs like this in ways you don't want them to. One of the keys to making this record was to get the piano right off the floor and not be influenced by it in any way. Musically speaking, like Bob has has taken out as much music as he possibly can in all these songs. There's another quote that he mentions, I think, that like what what he does here with these songs is like uncut, like strip them to the bone or something like that. And like see, see if they see if they fit or or if he can make them work and make them Uh, come alive, um, you know, in his own interpretation. And I think that's exactly what he sets out to do. And right off the bat is doing extremely well on this first song.
0: Probably a dumb thing to say, but uh, I think that that just makes me reflect on how, you know, the piano, like the fun fact people say about it all the time is like, oh, you know, it is a percussion instrument technically. And I think that that's kind of what he's referring to in a way, whether he means to or not, that it, it is, you know, this is not, um, it is a percussive thing. And it, and that's not what any of his approach is about here. It's it's all about that sweeping, s- subtle, floating quality. There's nothing that feels like percussive in any of
1: this. Sometimes yeah, there's almost get the, no percussion on the entire record whatsoever. Right.
0: It just kind of floats and um, glides over the ear, and Mm -hmm. and his voice melds with that. The main instruments are, like you said, I mean, to me, the one I think of as being the most iconic instrument in in this uh, whole record is probably that slide. Or, I mean, pedal steel. The pedal steel, yeah. And also, there are moments where you hear a horn, or like very tastefully... Um, a horn will come in um, like a French horn or yep. trumpet maybe but
1: I yeah, think there was a French horn a trumpet and a trombone Bob mentioned yeah. that also just
0: a few just a few just a few horns there shall we um, go to the next song the night we called it a day?
1: Well, before we do, I just want to note, like, right off the bat, you know, again, in terms of, like, the songs that Bob is selecting and and talking about his comparison to someone like Rod Stewart or, like, you know, like, Tony Bennett or something like that. Like, these other people that you expect to do these, you know, these quote-unquote covers records, standards records, you know, kind of working through Great American Songbook shit, like... Uh, the, these kind of records, I think, have a sort of a negative connotation to them and this might be a large part of the reason why critics or you know listeners in general sort of don't consider this a you know a really significant kind of record or or move on bob's part yeah um but Bob is not, like, this is, not, Bob is not here to, like, crank out a record and get it on the shelves to, like, make a buck or something. Or to make anyone right. at the record label happy. And he's not in, you know, he, he does move in the direction of, like, more well-known songs uh, by the time we get the triplicate. But on this first record, at least, like...
0: Oh, yeah, like, There's a
1: Flaw in My Flu. Flaw, <laughs> well, you know, September of my years. Um, but this first record is, like, a it's really, like, deep cuts, like, you know, I'm sure Sinatra heads out there, like, know all this shit, like, the back of their hands, but, like, these are not the songs that you think of when you think of Frank Sinatra, you know, kind of just, like, classic music that you're gonna hear at, like, a, whatever, a wedding or something like that, um, like, it's clear from this first song from, and from the entire track list that, like, Bob has, like, very specifically chosen, like, this, like, a, a certain type of song, with a certain kind of mood, a certain kind of energy and and sequence them together here in this package in such a way to, you know affect the mood, tell a story, whatever. Um, but this is not just like a standard kind of selection of the greatest hits you know, Bob plays Sinatra or something like that. This is so much more than that.
0: Yeah, I mean, even if he was to do those more and well-known type of material, I mean, it, I don't think that when he does more iconic type of songs in the genre, Uh, on the later records, like, and even later on here, I mean, like some Enchanted Evening, it just, it, it, I don't know, it, it does not feel phoned in at all. No, of course not. But I think that people do just see this and then they go, oh, like, I can skip that. This is just something he's doing for like the... And it probably didn't help optics-wise, honestly, for him to do the AARP interview because the, if anybody did see is that, the interview one of the best parts. It's of a this great whole thing. interview, but and you know, I think uh, ageism—we're calling it out. That's that's what I'm saying. You know, you shouldn't just think that uh, he's uh-huh. he's just cashing in for the uh, the geriatric set, uh, give them something to placate the uh, the 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 old folks he's <laughs> this is this is music he wants to do and he wants wanted to do just as much as he wanted to do rough and rowdy ways and yes. you gotta you can't uh you can't give up on bob like that you can't just no, of you, course like, not every time you give up on bob and you think that oh well this is good that was pretty nice but i mean now he's done then you're gonna, you know, you look like a fool. You're going to look like a fool. You're going to eat your hat.
1: You sure are. Uh, one last note on this song, just another kind of snippet from the interview, which I think was so great. Like I, I pulled a couple of quotes cause this is like, he's, he's killing it in this interview. Go read the whole fucking thing if you haven't, or go reread it if you haven't read it in a couple of years. Um, Bob says, so a song like I'm a Fool to Want You, I know that song. I can sing that song. I've felt every word in that song. I mean, I know that song. It's like I wrote it. It's easier for me to sing that song than it is to sing Once You Come See Me, Queen Jane. At one time, that wouldn't have been so, but now it is, because Queen Jane might be a little bit outdated. It can't be outrun. But this song, I'm a Fool to Want You, is not outdated. It has to do with human emotion, which is a constant thing. He There's nothing it can't cont- be outrun. It can't cannot be outrun. Uh, there's nothing contrived in these songs. There's not one false word in any of them. They're eternal lyrically and musically. Yeah, no, I think that no does a great detected. job of summing up the entire kind of project and Bob's entire kind of you know approach to this music from the very beginning. Is this missing link in this chain of musicians and folk artists from back to the very very beginning? Uh, this guy who can just kind of pull things out of the past and bring them forward into the future and, you know, make make these little objects that we would not have any sort of connection with or even be aware of, you know, you or I at least, um, or maybe not to speak for you, but for me. The certainly. man on
0: the street. Yeah,
1: without Bob, you know, being the one there to sort of guide us through this this uh narrow way but
0: he's so he's speak. he's uh saying to us all with this collection of songs and this whole uh, experiment this whole uh era that he uh, goes into that this is yeah you know, I mean he said it right there he said it straight away that it's this eternal stuff it's not um, it doesn't go bad and it doesn't go out of style and it's exactly. not connect and uh, I I I'll say more about that later, but uh, suffice it to say, I'm grateful for that.
1: Very much so. Then
0: we've got next the night we called it a the day. The night we
1: called it a day. Uh, you want to talk about the music video? There's, I mean, this is this is like sort of the song that if if you're gonna know a song on this record, this is the song that is kind of the song that you know because this is the song with the video. It's also the song that he played on the Letterman performance. The, the penultimate. Letterman show second to last Letterman show ever who was the last there.
0: Uh, ever guest on that? I don't know
1: we're gonna have to Harry Hugh uh, go ahead and uh, you know give us uh, give us a message there on the Twitter mentions let us know um, the night we called it a day is is a real kind of headline song on this record insofar as any of these songs are headline songs and the music video like you mentioned is a large part of the reason why yeah
0: it's a um Noir Themed,
1: it's a direct sequel to the tight connection to my heart video as I posted on Twitter today. It's a spiritual sequel, spiritual successor. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's um, I, I,
0: it's, it's an incredible uh music video,
1: yes. Uh, starring Robert Davi and Robert Davi, yes. Uh, a uh, a uh, the conservative,
0: um. The conservative actor,
1: star of screen and and um, and show Robert Davi, uh, highly recommended to go look up his uh, his Twitter account. Uh, very very fond of some of the um, the statements and nicknames. I, I that liked he's when he said uh,
0: he said that like. <laughs> We should have... He basically said we should have Sharia law. We should have Sharia law. We should but be was, cutting off people's but with hands. But we're saying it from a from a right-wing perspective. <laughs> like, I don't know that there's anybody else who's, who considers themselves like a, a conservative who would say that they want Sharia law. But if you're talking about cutting off the hands of
1: looters... People who steal, like, you know, bags of Doritos from Walgreens should yeah, lose d- their hands. Dog whistle, dog whistle, dog whistle.
0: Um... <laughs> Then uh, then suddenly Sharia Law <laughs> starts sounding good to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, he calls Nancy Pelosi a- Pig Losi. Yeah. Anyway, so he's a I'm steal- class I'm act. stealing that
1: one, folks. Pig Losi. Uh,
0: what what we do appreciate about him is his uh, unmistakable uh, visual uh, face. His yes, face. yeah. You
1: wanna you wanna talk about an old chunk of coal. Uh, like Norm, Robert Davi is the the chunk of coal's chunk of coal. This is yeah, a man he, he is who a, looks like he's carved out of coal from West Virginia. Literally,
0: he he looks like he is uh, a, a golem. I, I was going to say like a bar of soap that got <laughs> that caught some shrapnel. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, he's got that kind of like scarred, like acne scarred looking face. Yeah, very, he's very he, wide, very broad. It's sort of shaped like a shaped like a barrel or a trash can.
0: Yeah, a trash can. Uh, he's kind of um, like the 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 what's his name? Uh, Hagrid. No, he's like uh, he's like the white Danny Trejo. That's what he's like.
1: Okay. <laughs> Uh, anyways, he stars opposite Bob in this uh, this this a noir tight, masterpiece. Yeah, a very tight, like
0: twisty, turny. Uh,
1: three and a half minutes in and it, out, but we've got a whole emotional arc. Yeah, here. in which
0: Bob pulls a gun. <laughs> My favorite part is when he, uh, after what happens and with the gun, he's uh, escaping in a in a car. But on his way out, he's just kind of like he's ru- he's going fast for Bob and he right, yeah. I, I love that so much he's kind of he's uh-huh. hot, he's he's going as fast as you would go to like i don't know you know that you have like 1 minute on the meter to to refill the meter for your car right. and you are 50 feet away it's uh, like and you he's going that fast. To be it's like, like when
1: you step out into the crosswalk and there's like two seconds left and the red hand is blinking. So you know you've really got like 11 got, seconds yeah. until the cars are going to come through. So you just right. like kind of make a gesture towards moving that fast. But like as you're the, still...
0: <laughs> as the police are like moments away from from getting him. They're hot on his tail. He's yeah, just from, kind the, of...
1: from murdering him with their uh, their little uh, yeah, yeah. He's arms. going as,
0: as fast as he would to return a book to the library.
1: <laughs> so, uh yeah so Bob uh, Bob shows up to this this bar in downtown Los Angeles on 7th Street it should be noted um uh and uh you know it's it's sort of a sort of a shadow kingdom looking uh, place to be honest uh and there's some sort of uh femme fatale dame up yeah. there on stage doing a little uh, root and tootin routine with her fedora We don't need boa.
0: to talk about the whole thing you just watch it I, but I will say that the um Title cards at the beginning and end are just like so spot on. Classic. They look just like they would uh, have come out of the of the forties. I
1: was a little confused about the actual like what's taking place in that video though. Oh, me like, too. It th- seems like there's something they're both about like showing each other engagement rings. Yeah, something. like so they're both trying to marry her, but then I don't
0: know. <laughs> they, I, I really don't know. Actually, I'm glad you brought that up because I felt like. I was thinking to myself while I was watching it, like, maybe I'm just slow. Maybe no, I'm a little and slow. And then
1: when, when, he sh- when Robert Davi shows up to uh, to the woman's apartment and Bob pulls the gun on him, then we cut to a scene where he's just sitting on a couch and he just picks up a gun. It, like, Bob has a gun on him, but then all of a sudden there's just another gun and he can just pick it up and, and <laughs> apparently try to shoot Bob Yeah, and then the, the Bob femme
0: fatale it. becomes uh, truly fatale. She for she, yeah. She, it was she, a little
1: bit like... Um, uh, beyond here lies nothing.
0: Yeah, yeah. like slight, uh, a
1: slightly cla- a little classier, a little, a uh, little, little more sophisticated take on that, but I, equally <laughs> murderous.
0: Anyway, a- everyone pulls a gun on everyone in this, <laughs> and uh, there's a, a, some great little sleight of hand. You know, it's a little cor- like corny, but when. I guess we can just talk about what happens. You know, they're like in the elevator and you see that they both have pulled a gun on each other and then it's like a wide shot. You see that two shots. The elevator go off going in down the elevator yeah, and there's the, the bang bang. And you don't know who got who got shot. Or that's who, great. What happened. That's great. That's filmmaking, baby. She, the uh the lady in white, she walks out and uh you think that she has uh, she got Bob. But of course, Seconds later, you see the blood spread on her dress, and she collapses. She collapses, and then you see you see Bobby
1: uh, sort of sauntering uh, down a fire escape. Yeah,
0: racing out at the speed of uh, of a mailman.
1: <laughs> he makes a great antihero. Well, I'll say that a great a great noir leading man.
0: Yeah, he is positively erotic.
1: He's got a presence. Um, anyways, the night we called it a day, What a song. It starts off with these just incredibly the moody, the
0: sky? an owl in the sky, my... in the sky. these ah, horns
1: man. at the beginning are just like, man. It's what, so like, good. It, it, it is so good. I, I, the, the, maybe this is a good moment to, to mention also the cello. like cello. Uh, is there a cello on this? Isn't there? There's like some low strings, right? Yeah, there, I mean, it, maybe it's Tony, like like uh, with the bow on the, the stand up bass. Is, yeah. yeah. Um, but, like, voice wise, I, you know, Chris Gow shat on him and stuff. Like, I actually think Bob's voice sounds incredible on this record, on the entire record, especially coming from where he was just a couple years before. You know, Tempest, obviously, we've been, been over that vocal kind of uh, situation time and time again. But I was thinking about this in comparison to, like, Christmas in the Heart. Which was kind of the closest thing to this record that had existed before this record came out. Bob, you know, reinterpreting these very classic, you know, kind of song, you know, like uh, American songbook songs. Yeah, and and I've been listening to that. It's, it's Christmas season, folks. Go listen to the Jokerman Christmas playlist. It's great. But Bob's voice just sounds like it. It sounds rough on that record. Like he he doesn't. You know, you we we love it. You know, it, it's it's got all sorts of character. But like the the control and um. And reservation than he has on this album, with these interpretations of these songs, is just so it, it's it's like light years ahead of what he was able to do on the Christmas record. It, it's, it's shocking to me, to be honest.
0: Yeah, I don't understand how anybody with uh, half a brain could say that it sounds bad. Like. You are you are missing the point on purpose. You are telling
1: on yourself if you are yeah. gonna say, "Oh, I don't like this music because Bob Dylan's voice sounds bad." Like, come, it does, like, no, you just don't know
0: what to think of it because you have. I think that that's. I don't know. I don't want to go too hard on this, but I think a lot of people don't know what to think of it because they don't. Maybe they just need to read that interview or something where, like, he where Bob himself points out the. Eternal quality of these songs that they aren't something corny and of the past. They are something that should always be there for you. If these are what songs, these are the songs you can turn to when you feel exhausted by all the other music. This is like that's how I have come to feel about a lot of this stuff. Is like these standards, they're called that for a reason. It's like this is not. Contrary to what people think, like, this isn't the stuff that's stuck in the past. This is the stuff that it, we just used to have a culture that respected simple, straightforward <laughs> writing in music that was about feelings, about, you know, that were universal and aspired to be universal. Right.
1: Yeah, he does say something. I, I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but in the interview, he does say something like... Um, like these songs are about romance and about emotion and romance never goes out of style like right, this is this right. is stuff that is that is uh, just as applicable to me today as it will be to you know someone 50 years in the future as it was to Frank 75 years before like it is this really is as kind of as eternal and as timeless as as music gets and that's I think why this this album is so important is like this is stuff that is that is, for the most part like without these albums this is stuff that is is just locked away in the past and like yeah if you ought are, not to if, be if you are a, someone who is you know a big head um or you know some sort of phd student or something like obviously you can go out there you can listen to it you can you can dig it up for yourself but like you know for for us like this is like this this just would not have been presented to us certainly in this way at any point in our lives and it's really kind of deepened my appreciation for this style of music and this yeah, style same. of songwriting, the same way that like Bob, um, you know, doing a, a Blind Lemon song right. uh, does, or Hard Times or something on uh, on Good as I've Been to You, like he's he's really just like doing us a doing us a service, and, and when I say us, I don't just mean you and I, the, the listening like listeners, exactly, a service in 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 like he said himself, uncovering songs like this and bringing them forward into the future where they, yeah. where into, they the where, into the present into the yeah where they where they the make eternal just as much sense and I, work just as well as they ever did.
0: I think for a long time in music and popular music increasingly for like decades it felt like you got more and more points for being more and more abstract, more and more esoteric. Dylan himself ironically is probably one of the most uh you could say uh guiltiest of like inspiring that in, in rock music and, and, and um, experimental writing of all kinds right. in, in popular music. Of course I would argue as I'm sure you would, that he kind of is, was so good at it that like, uh, you know, there's no fault, obviously it's just incredibly great stuff, sure. but and, and while I love so much music that came after he sort of broke that uh, that wall open for everybody, I, I think now it actually feels like one of the best times to rediscover this particular music. And I think Dylan was a little bit ahead of the game, but I think people are realizing now, just for various reasons, but maybe it's, you know, call it the Joe Biden effect, but like just... <laughs> Just where we're at culturally, I think there is a certain level of exhaustion with the esoteric, with the, um, with the aggressively like obscure and experimental, and people I think do want to return a little bit to like some sense of normalcy or ba- or rather not in a, like regressive way, but a sense of feeling grounded again in like what even makes sense anymore. And I think that's that's something this music is really. Uh, important for is just giving you that reminder of like no this is this is regular music this is for this is just what the what if you want to listen to something that will just make you feel something is about what a normal person feels and stuff that you don't need to search for and be smart enough to get like this is it's there it appeals to everyone I, that's a rambling uh, ramble I just went on, but I, I, I think that this kind of music, it, it is like a palate cleanser of the creative faculties.
1: Reject modernity, embrace tradition.
0: Yeah, this is the traddest episode we've ever had. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, should also be noted, uh, just as we wrap up the night we called it day. watch the Letterman performance, incredible. Bob is killing it there it's just touching to see the two of them together at the very end of Dave's time on the end of Dave's waves, the end of Dave's, uh, stay with me. Uh,
0: this is one of those songs on here that I think you get the, the real sense of Bob's uh, spirituality, his spiritual connection, I should say mm-hmm. to this music. Cause this is like a hymn, you know, it's like a, a prayer of a song.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think that um, I mean you were saying a moment ago, like Bob, you know, sort of kicked off, uh, you know, the the sort of modern or postmodern approach to songwriting and music making. He himself mentions this in that interview. Like, like these are the right. kinds of he says something like, "These are the songs that my music destroyed," or something initially. Or that rock, um, he said that the rock music, music would come something. to destroy. Yeah, right. Basically. Um but um you know i I think that this kind of music and and um stay with me is a perfect example of it is like the is is the direction that he's been working his way back towards ever since blonde on blonde basically like i I totally see a straight th- straight line from this song to something like mother of Muses or yeah, yeah um. Definitely. um you know, um, even I contain multitudes, which is a little funkier, a little funnier. Well, I want but to
0: talk about that, and I mean, sorry, I'm having so many thoughts right now.
1: Wow, well, you're just and you were saying that you weren't uh, in a mood to record tonight.
0: Well, then I made my bed, and you know, Jordan Peterson. <laughs> or, yeah, as long as we're talking about being there were the like several people tra- traditional.
1: The, those, those Spotify uh, lists yeah. came up uh, recently. There were like several people who like their their year in list was like us. And Joe Rogan, <laughs> you know, I was thinking about
0: Jordan Peterson because I made my bed because I was like feeling down and um, or I was feeling just low energy. And I made my bed and it sort of refocused me, and I was like, "Low tea." Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's a good idea, and I remembered that that's probably like something Jordan Peterson said. That's that guy literally Reject made the dirty his. embrace he, tradition. He made his bed one time, and then was like. You know, I think I figured this whole life thing out. Yeah. And he wasn't wrong in that moment, but um, he's been wrong ever since. Uh, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> uh, I, I wanted to say that um, you, you know, we were just talking about modern versus postmodern and Dylan being sort of the postmodern musician. This is modern music. What we're, I mean, this stuff is the modern stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. Dylan is the postmodern. But uh, all of Dylan's postmodernism, it's about taking this raw material of songs like this and then sort of extrapolating upon it with, you know, a whole different arsenal of, of language and of um, cultural signifiers, different angles to view things at. Um, but it's like you think of a song like, I don't know, Sad-Eyed Lady of the Lowlands, it has this in its very DNA songs like this are the building blocks of, of what he then went on to fill in and bend and twist and color things differently. Um, that, that is, you know, the modern can't or the postmodern, I mean, can't exist without what yes. came before the, that foundation. Correct. And songs song like stay with me when you're just talking about, uh, mother of muses it's like really incredible to think about how the most recent things he's done feel like especially that song which to me was a huge standout of seeing him live both times and i feel like now he's actually making a he made a song with mother of muses that's just as it's circled back to like something like what we have here was stay with me where it if you told me those both came out the same year, I wouldn't doubt it. Um, but he's honed and, and made subtle his uh, post-modernism. He's able to control it to such a degree that like he doesn't have to say anything crazy. He doesn't have to throw jewels and binoculars hanging on the head of the mule into a song for you to know that it comes from... Where he's currently at, mm-hmm. he's just able to, uh, completely integrate his all of his uh, more modern poetic uh, abilities with something as eternal and um, classically modern. I guess you could say as as a song like "Stay with Me."
1: Brevity is the soul of wit. If you just Say the simplest thing you can in the simplest amount of words. Doesn't make it bad, doesn't make it wrong. Makes it good, in fact. Though the road buckles under where I walk, walk along till I find my wonder, every path leads to thee. All that I can do is pray, stay with me. You know, like what what more do you need? Why why you got to dress it up?
0: Yeah, I feel a little silly even talking so much and tangling I mean, myself thing, like, up to try to explain it.
1: These spe- like the songs there there isn't a whole lot of like you know uh, bloviating and and um you know um, getting I'm into bloviating. getting deep into the weeds lyrically speaking here the way that we do on you know journey through dark heat or something or, or changing of the guards because they' are so just like perfectly manicured classic, Straight, like they, they you know it's it's like it's it's like trying to comment on um ooby dooby or something like that or um or like uh rock around the clock it's like it's the it's it's perfect as it is or it's, it's like trying to critique a coca-cola or something like there, there's it's it's so just like
0: we're we're talking we're trying to describe the mystical sphere oh know? man that's what we're tasked with right now, and right. you can't really describe it. You can just listen to lyrics, like, uh, you know, if I'm what? What is the line about when I'm wrong in this? That one always gets me.
1: Uh, yeah, though I grope and I blunder and I'm weak and I'm wrong, and
0: I'm weak and I'm wrong. Yeah, when he says that, I I don't know that if you if you listen to this with any expectation that you might be moved and feel something and you don't just shut it off as like, Oh, this is for old people. Then I, I mean, you're going to get something out of that. Nobody, nobody escapes a line like that. Like I think he has something that he says in the interview where uh, he says, like, if we're honest with ourselves, we could all admit something like that. And you know, that these songs well, he talks about one song in particular,
1: right? It, um,
0: what, uh, uh, oh, he's talking about "Amazing Grace," and he says, "To save a wretch like me." Hmm. He's talking about a you know a line as simple and as iconic as that, um, and as as honest. You know, that's what he's trying to get to. This like the real the the ground the the ground level. My words, not his, on that.
1: Sure well I think we can cut it there for today I know we're not at the the flip side of the record but I want to try to keep these episodes roughly symmetrical lengthwise and we're uh, we're getting close to it already so any uh any last comments on the first three songs on this first round this uh, record uh,
0: I feel like I've, I've talked myself blue in the face Blue, Blue like uh, the cover of the like album.
1: Well, dead, Dad, but we gotta save that's that's gold for for side B. Don't, that's don't gold, you dare! Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, gold like the autumn leaves, which we'll mm. talk
1: about uh, next time. Next time, only on Jokerman. This man first appeared on the uh, old show in
2: 1984, and he was last here in 1993. We couldn't be more happy and more honored to have him with us tonight, ladies and gentlemen, the great Bob Dylan. Thank you we Bob, he beautiful. All brushes. Bob Dylan, ladies and gentlemen. There you go, buddy. Thank you so very much. Thank you, everybody.